good. How about if you feel good, just lift your hands. You don't have to, but just open your heart. We just thank you again today. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We know that ultimately you're the one who can change our lives so that we resemble more of who Jesus is. You're the one who is able to connect us with our future, our destiny. You're the one who's able to minister and provide in ways we could never expect. And we just speak your power today. We speak your anointing. We thank your presence. When we walked into this room, this became a place for us to dwell with you. And we just worship you, we honour you, and we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Take a seat, everybody. Thanks, guys. Give these uh, musicians, singers, everyone a big hand. Never take for granted just the blessing of God that uh, we have in the house. Amen. Very good. Everyone's happy? Lift your hand if you're happy. If you're not, you're in trouble. Good. Um, Sam's asked me to talk on relationship realities. There's a good subject. And so I'm about to do it. Relationship realities. If you are here and you're married, get your notepad out because you need to take some notes. And that includes men, not women. <laughs> Amen. Normally the women have got all the notes and the men just sit there and nod, nod, nod. Um, but if you're single, this is for you too, because you know one of the great joys in life is finding uh, that person that you can do life with, and it's a valuable part. Um, and so today, you know, just in a way, I pray that I can gear my message to include everybody, embrace everybody, because it's important we do. Um, you know, this uh, on August the 22nd, Helen and I have been married 48 years, and so. Uh, that's a good distance. We've learned a lot. And the wonderful thing is that we would say our marriage is stronger now than it was at the beginning. And uh, I, I think love increases. Uh, the other thing is Helen's parents, which we often talk about, they've been married 71 years. And uh, it was, you know, just you, you look, look at their life, and especially as you get older, if you're younger, you don't think this is ever going to happen to you. No one ever thinks they're going to get old. But just turn to your neighbour and say, I'm getting older every day. <laughs> and it doesn't take long before you are actually getting, it's catching up with you and something is happening around you. But her father went into hospital, he had suspected pneumonia. And the first thing his wife said is, where is Ed? And the first thing he says, what's happening to Dulce? And that was their question every time you saw them. And the most amazing thing is when they connected together, it was just like these two, and I wouldn't say love birds, but you, you just saw the, this, this chemistry that had been built over 70 years come back together. It was like a magnet. And it was like the joy on their faces of coming together after this, that brief separation was just something for me. I wish I had taken a photo of it because it was magnetic. It was alive. And I thought, you know, I'm getting older. And you think, how do you want your life to be? Not just now, but in old age. And so often what we do in life is we're inclined to make decisions based upon our emotions now, what we feel now. But we're not making decisions that will affect our life constantly as we go through this incredible journey. 
And I'm a great believer that we make decisions that's going to affect our life tomorrow and it's going to affect our life uh, in another year and then ultimately in life to come. And I believe that that's really what relationships are all about. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, I'm going to give you some scriptures, also some statistics, get the word out right because I think it's important to understand what is actually happening in the world. And we're not governed by the world, but we're actually governed by what God wants. Uh, it just says in Matthew chapter 9, and well-known well known scripture, but a good one to read. And Jesus answers a question, and he says to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, for this reason you shall leave his father, for this reason... You shall leave, I'm sorry, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I, I think that's profound. It's very profound. Uh, be careful, you know, I, I believe in extended family, but when you, when you married, extended family doesn't determine your culture. You actually become one, and you create a new culture. The culture is now set by what you're bringing into it. And that means you take a little bit of one side and a little bit of the other, but you create your culture for tomorrow. The two shall become one flesh. And we're going to be so careful that we're not letting the domination of voices outside determine, determine who we're becoming. And then it goes on, become one flesh. As so then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. That's how God views it. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And that's a challenge that we don't let this force of separation come in together for what God has joined together. Harvard University did a study, and this study is really interesting because it's not a Christian study, and not done by a Christian organization, it's done by a very profound university. It was done over with 46 years of data, right? And the, the, what, what they found out is that what causes divorce, what causes separation, they, they basically said one of the most profound things is job security actually holds people together, but job insecurity is one of the most common causes of couples actually getting friction or division in their marriage and it pulls them apart. Couples actually fighting over money is one of the basic causes, especially outside Christianity, is one of the basic causes. See, the study, and this is quite well known, 50% of first marriages end in divorce, but the option to go, you know, think, well, it's going to get better next, 78% of second marriages end in divorce. So you're not going to win. You're better to work than try and win. 78%. They say... They link divorce lowering as much as by 47% by couples who regularly attended church. So 40%, the, the, the statistics dropped by those who attend church. It says, and then they went on and they found out, and this is a general study, 1% of couples who regularly attend church and pray together, only 1% end in divorce. So... Uh, if people aren't regularly attending church, might say they're Christian, uh, they don't regularly attend church, they're not praying together, their statistics are very much the same as people who are not Christian. So just take note. 
And so there's some pretty glaring statistics which have come out of a, a university studying 46 years of marriage, and what we need to do is, is learn from it. Because I believe that God actually wants to bring us back to some pretty solid foundations so that we're actually helping to people to build uh, a life together that has, uh, in a way, success. It's got prosperity in it. So I'm going to give you, and I'm going to move quick. I, I, I'm try, I'll probably preach at some point, but I'll try not to <laughs> uh, because it's just my nature. But, um, you know, I've got eight areas they're all going to start with P, and that's why I want you to take note. And these, you know, it's relationship realities helping us to grasp what's going to really connect and hold your relationship together, your marriage together. And just from my observation through our own journey and observing, especially being in ministry for over 40 years, number one is I, I think we need a good pattern. I'm just using P words. Amen because I think it might help you to remember, but somehow it all came together for me, so there we are. Um, but it just says in Exodus 25, verse 30, and you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. And so Moses was given instruction. It was to do with a tabernacle, which is a reflection of the uh, temple, which is a reflection of you and I. And God always uses a pattern. He uses a design. And right through Scripture, one of the wonderful aspects of the Word of God, the Bible, is God gives you wonderful patterns on how you can build your life. And if we negate those patterns, what we do, we do it to our own detriment. One of the areas, and I'm just going to give you four that I've observed that are healthy patterns, is sincerity. Sincerity is a, is a good pattern. Really, if you were to analyze the word in the Greek, it's used of a potter. And they would uh, work on their, their vase or their, their, what they're designing. And then they would take it out into the sunlight and they would put it up to the sun to see whether there was any flaws in it. And so what would happen is, is if there was no flaws, they would say that's a sincere demonstration of what I want. And so it's really, in a way, sincerity is having the ability to bring your life to the Son of God and in marriage having no flaws that you are hiding. You're prepared to live in the light. You're prepared to walk openly. Your, your relationship's got integrity. And my observation is couples really struggle the moment they have hidden departments in their life. And you often think, I felt something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. It's like there's a hidden area. And I believe that we need to build our life around sincerity so that we can bring our life even to our partner. And there's, in a way, there's a, there's a reflection of who we are, even sometimes the broken parts of our life, so that we are able to work on it together and have an understanding. Sincerity is powerful. It's a good pattern. I think generosity, Ed talked about generosity this morning. Generosity is a powerful force in anyone's life. And the moment you live a life without generosity, in a way, can I say it, there's a meanness about it. But generosity is a, it brings a dimension of, I think, godliness into your, into your marriage, into your relationships, uh, be, beginning to, to, to walk with a sense, well, no, no, we can, do, we can do anything. We can give, we can support. 
The other area is adventure. I love adventure. I think it's godly. So Helen and I, it's one of our values. We're going to be adventurous till we die, if we can. Amen? We're not, we don't want to live a boring life. Amen? I think some couples, they get into their late 30s, 40s, and they become predictable and boring. And it's almost like, you know, you've got to have a retirement fund and, and be wise. But don't be predictable and boring. Be adventurous in life. Mate, but let it be a pattern. Just say, no, no, we're going to break the norm sometimes and we're going to, we're going to do something different. Don't be predictable. Just don't uh, uh, allow yourself to get in this trap. Hospitality is another area. It's like a pattern that, because you're giving yourself to someone else. And hospitality is a very powerful Christian, Christian pattern that we need to build into our life. So, you know, I could keep on moving through. The, the, these patterns are very biblical, but when you build them into your relationships, they actually have uh, consequences that are over, uh, overwhelming. And so, little statement you might like to put under that is living with direction. We need direction. Couples who actually end up falling into a sneer is that they've got no direction. They don't really know what they're building. The second thing is we need to build with purpose. And the purpose is, naturally for me, is godly purpose. And uh, well-known scripture, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And uh, I believe you can see in a couple where God is first. You can see it in their life. It's like everything. And can I say, they're not kooky. They're not weird. I don't think Helen and I are weird. <laughs> but boy, God's first. So, so really, when it comes to it, we bring everything back to godly purpose. Does this serve the kingdom of God? Is this about us, or is it about what God wants for our life? And we've found, coming back to what I said, living with godly purpose actually brings adventure to your life. Because God breaks the stereotypes, the norms, and puts something into your life that you could not predetermine yourself, but God allows you to go on that incredible journey. So purpose for me, godly purpose, putting God first, so easy to, to let other things become first. I think I watch uh, some people and they let their job become first. And in a way, your job can't do what God can do. Your job is an expression but don't let your job take the place of the seat that God wants in your heart. Don't let the, your job or, or what you do, sometimes sport can take over. Sometimes different things, even ministry can take over, which is pretty sad, but your ministry becomes more important than your godly purpose. And what happens is something dies with inside you and you wonder really why you're not as fresh and sparky as you used to be. The third area is partnership. Partnership is powerful. In, um, in, and I'm going to use the, the Psalm, Psalm 133, because every single person in this room would want their life to be blessed. I'm not even going to ask you to put up your hands, because you want your life to be blessed. But blessing in marriage comes out of partnership. It comes out of agreement. And that's why the Psalm says, Behold, how good, uh, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We use it a lot in this church because it's true of a church, but it's so profound in a marriage. And I want everyone to do it. If you've done it before with me, I don't care because it's a profound thing to do. 
I want you to put your hands like this. Now those hands are together. And a lot of people live together. But they're not together together. That's together together. It's when your life is meshed with the other person. You're in agreement with them. You can actually be together. A lot of people live together, but if you were to really analyze and get into their relationship, they come home, they might touch, but they're not in agreement. There's no harmony. And then they ask the question, why, are, why aren't we blessed? Blessing comes out of agreement. Every time I've seen in, in our journey together, Helen and my journey, every time we get into agreement, that's where the blessing of God flows. But if we're struggling, we might come together, but we're not together together. And so God can't command his blessing. And that's where you've got to, sometimes you've got to navigate. I, was, I could use the word debate. I could use an, a, another word, argue. Arguments are not a bad thing. Long as you're not destroying one another. But if an argument leads you to a place of agreement, then God commands his blessing. Amen? And we've got to work on that if we're to accomplish something that brings blessing to our life. And I believe it's so important. The fourth area, which really I, I, I've got in here because I, I, I know it's so powerful in our marriage, is prayer. And coming back to, you know, the statistic, 1% of couples, only 1% of couples who pray together end up in divorce. That's a pretty strong statistic. But if I was to look around, especially my example or, or my, my uh, observation in church, a lot of couples don't actually take time to pray together. Now, I'll, I'll let you know, Helen and I don't sit down for a half an hour or an hour and pray. I'll just let you know we don't do that. We're not having a revival prayer meeting in our house. <laughs> Amen? But we do pray. We do pray. We pray together. We come to agreement on things. Sometimes it might take one minute. Sometimes it might take five minutes. Never half an hour. But we are praying together. And the moment we open our mouth, I'll tell you what prayer does. The moment you open your mouth, you actually build a bond together. It's got an incredible outcome. It's not religious. You build a bond together. The other thing about prayer, which we need to understand, coming from um, Two scriptures, if you ask, Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, to agree in my name, powerful scripture. But the one that, again, we need to take note of is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and... Come on, and? How many want the land healed? Come on, how many want their marriage healed? The basis of prayer is actually a heart of humility. It actually says, I need God. The moment you say, no, no, I don't need to pray, what you're really saying is, you're all right without God. You want eternal life, but let me control my own life now. What prayer does, it brings a, a, a foundation of humility to your heart that says, I cannot do this without you, God. I need you in the middle. I need your support. That's what prayer does. It helps you to focus on things that are beyond your control together. 
And we need those things in our life. We need things. We need things that take us out of our current reality into what God wants for our life. Those are the challenges. That's what prayer does. That brings excitement. Oh, about to preach. That brings excitement into your world. Amen? Because we need that excitement. And so living with it, and I think prayer has a part of strengthening you. It's the part that keeps your life healed. It keeps your life bound together. It draws you closer together. Come on, they're important things. And if you never learned to do it, just start. If you don't like your own voice, well, someone else has got to listen to it. <laughs> so let God hear it. Amen? Don't just have a quiet prayer meeting. No, no, verbalize. No, we agree together. Sometimes we're going to hold hands. We're going to agree together. Come on, we need to do it. It's a basis. It's not, it's not weakness. I believe it adds strength. The fifth area is priorities. The two shall become one. In a way, you know, there, there, there's um, Helen likes Anna Greeden Gables, and she's always enjoyed those programs. And, um, you know, one of the things, if I've ever sat watching this girl comes out, she talks about kindred spirit. Uh, and, and this is actually quite biblical kindred spirit, especially in the, in the focus of a marriage. Because really what, what happens is it says two shall become one. Two people who have got different expressions become one. They become kindred in spirit. They become kindred in heart. It doesn't take away their identity so they're not one in the sense that Helen and I are definitely not alike. <laughs> she is definitely far more bossy than I am. <laughs> so we're not alike. But, but, but in spirit, it's like another word, kindred, another word is glue. It's like the glue that holds you together. And it's important glue. It's that kindred. It doesn't mean you're always kindred and agreeing. It means you can disagree but you're kindred in heart, and you will work it through. And those areas we're going to make as a priority, because one of the things that I've watched, and this is a pastoral area, which I can actually speak quite profoundly, when people find their kindred spirit with someone outside their marriage, you will normally find their marriage won't survive. I, I think I should say it again. <laughs> I mean, if you find someone with a kindred spirit outside your marriage, you will normally find your marriage won't last. Because God has designed you not just to be husband and wife, he's designed you to be friends. He's designed you to be one. He's designed you to be kindred in heart. He's designed you to be kindred in spirit. And one of the, sometimes the test of that is can you do a holiday just together? Or do you need company? Now, company is not wrong, but if you can't enjoy one another, perhaps you're kindred somewhere else. And for me, I'm just letting you know, Helen's my friend. We're kindred in heart. We're kindred in spirit. We're glued together. You, you might sound that, but I don't want to live a life like that. Well, your marriage probably won't succeed as strong as it could do. And my observation is people, of especially my age, those who really have a lasting relationship, there's a kindredness about them. They understand, and there's a glue that holds them together. 
They're not having to fill it up with other things. They actually find companionship together. And so, you know, just the man shall leave, the two shall become one flesh. That's really, in my view, that's what it means. We're kindred. We've come together. We're doing life together. We're working through our struggles together. We're working through the high times, the low times, whatever it is. We're kindred. We've got something that's glued us together. There's, There's areas in our life that we don't give to another. We don't let our emotions get attached to someone else. Be careful. Because emotional attachments, they actually, I read this, I've done quite a lot of reading, and it basically said, you know, just um, uh, people say, they, they, they meet someone who's, um, just say, the, the woman's a prayer, but the husband's not. So she finds someone that she can pray for us, and that person is a male. Right? So what happens is they, they've got this, prayer partnership together. Now, they have proven statistically that that couple will ultimately end up in bed because they give themselves emotionally, they become kindred in heart and ultimately rob themselves of the very thing that they should work on and build. So be careful. Amen? Good advice? And then the the other one, which... A lot of modern day people don't like reading, but I love reading it because I think it's very true. Wives, submit to your husbands. (laughs) As to the Lord, I'm going to give good understanding. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now, that's one verse. You might say, how can you base a doctrine on one verse? It's not just one verse. That is a biblical concept. And I want Scott and Leela, if they wouldn't mind coming up. And I'll just show you uh, how I see it, because it's important that we have... Oops. (laughs) Man, when you came up, the anointing just went... (laughs) (laughs) You hold the umbrella, right? You come under the umbrella. Now, when when we talk about submission... Most people have the idea that the man is here and the woman's down here. But that's not biblically the model. The biblical model is that the man holds the umbrella. And if he loves his wife, he will love her to the point she becomes everything that God has designed her to be. That's what love is. Love equips. Love brings the best out. And I love it when Helen says, my man has brought the best out of me. I love it when she says that because that's biblical for me. I have loved her to the point that she brings the best out. But just say, Leela, no, 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 I'm my own person. What she's done is she's ripped herself away from the very covering that God has set to protect her. And then she wonders why she emotionally becomes vulnerable And there's areas in her life that are depleted. And that's why I believe that there's scriptural things. That's right. Submission is not submission in the sense that she's been controlled by. That's not the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern is the man creates the umbrella and loves his wife to the point that he brings out everything that God has designed her to be. 
and she prospers because she stays under that covering of protection. And she, in a way, submits to him in that area because in so doing, she brings the best out in him. And it's a biblical concept. And what we're going to be careful of in the modern advancement that we don't lose biblical security. Amen? I'm just saying, don't, don't lose it. Because I see this model, and I, I, I could give you, a, uh, thanks very much, you guys can go down. I, I could give you uh, some studies which have happened in the UK, and not done in church, but I don't have time this morning, where the, these, these uh, group of ladies, they just submitted because they didn't like the way the marriage was going, and God prospered them in a profound way. So there are priorities in life, amen? And if we don't Observe those priorities. Sometimes, just to back up on that, sometimes, you know, Jacinda Ardern, just looking, I'm just using it because she's our prime minister. She's got a leadership gift. Amen? Obvious. I don't know her husband, but they obviously have a good relationship. Now, just because she's got a leadership gift doesn't mean she's providing the covering. Now, I don't know the relationship. I'm just talking. Amen? So, so, Sometimes the woman actually has the leadership gift, but be careful, just because you got the leadership gift doesn't mean you're the leader. <laughs> Your man's still ahead, and he creates a covering for you to prosper in. Amen? The next one, passion. I'm not going into the passion, the sexual passion. I'm not uh, here to do that. But I think passion is an important part of life. It just says, and husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Pretty powerful. And also it says, he who loves his wife loves himself. So if you're not showing that love, there's something about you that's not in order for the men, just talking to the men. Amen? So when you love your wife, you actually, because you can love her unconditionally, it shows that you know who you are. And that's the basis of love. But passion is not just a sexual thing. The passion of Christ is where he laid down his life because he had passion for broken humanity. And the moment, my observation, the moment we remove passion from life, whether it's the passion of marriage, whether it's the passion of your job, whether it's your passion for Jesus, whether it's your passion for church, whatever it is, the moment you lose passion, you become Life becomes very predictable. And I use the word, it can become boring. People just get up. I love what I do. I'm passionate about it. I'm still passionate about it. I can still wake up in the morning and I've got passion about what I do. The moment if I lost that passion, I need to redesign what I do. In my marriage, Helen and I, there's passion. There's passion about life. There's passion about what we're going to achieve together. There's so much passion. Never lose passion. Because the moment you lose passion, I think you lose, just a word, I don't know whether it's even a good word in the dictionary, the zing of life. <laughs> Amen? And we need the zing of life. We need that spontaneity. We need that area where, where our life has got a dimension that cannot come unless there's a sense of passion. Amen? If you haven't got passion, come on, you need to, to, to redig the well. You need to look at it. You need to work out why. Passion about life. Passion about Jesus. The moment you fail to have passion in your relationship with God, what happens is you've dropped into religion. 
Everything is now calculated, it's determined. So let's keep passion alive and living to honor one another. The seventh area, doing pretty good for me. Seventh area, all these topics in it, is pleasure. We need pleasure. My, my psalm of pleasure is, I'm just giving mine here, Psalm 23, because I, I find there's times where I just need to find space. And it just says in the psalm, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And it's like when he's my shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pasture. He leadeth me beside still waters. They're not my normal day-to-day -day activity. But I need to find out what that green pasture looks like. I need to find out what those still waters look like because in them, it, it, it restores my soul. It's important. And, and learning as a couple to, to enjoy pleasure together is so vital that you can learn to laugh. You can learn to do life together. You can learn to, to enjoy the journey. Some people are so, and, and, and I, 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 I don't think it's God-focused, but in, in a way, they're so God-focused. But they're really not very nice to be around. <laughs> Truly. They don't know how to laugh. They don't know how to enjoy life. They don't know how to just stop for a moment. They don't know how to take a day off. They don't know how to, for me, I love going out in the boat. I like fishing. I like doing things that, that relax my soul. In so doing, I'm restoring my soul. I'm restoring so that I can actually be a better husband. Helen can be a better wife. Together, we can actually build something together. And, and you know, that's why you get the, the word holiday. Holy day. It's not just a, a, a man-made concept. It's a God concept. And what God is saying, you need a holy day. Amen? Where I can shepherd your soul so that I can replenish your life so that you can keep passion in your life and you can do what I've called you to do. Amen? Good, who's on the keyboards? Ethan, I think. Would you mind coming and playing? The eighth area is provision. Provision is so important in life. We can't survive. You know, when I started out preaching, I read a statistic that 45% of marriages, well, no, 45% 40, uh, of marriage problems are related around money. Now, it would appear from the, Harvard University, that has not changed. I, I, I'm really going to speak to men. Be careful, men. Don't be a slob. Do you want a good scripture? Here's a scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you do not provide for your own, and especially those of his household, he is denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. That's the Bible. That's people who sit at home and let their wife work. Says you're worse than an unbeliever. You've got, you've got a responsibility to provide for your home. Now, I believe, having now looked at the stats, the church needs to help people. We've got a responsibility to equip the church so that actually we're living lives that are God-honoring. 
Amen? I have no problem talking about some fundamental issues of life. Marriage, work, budgets. I have no problem talking about them. Why? Because they're biblical. Some people gauge a church by how many people fall over when they're prayed for. I gauge a church by marriages. I gauge a church by how people are progressing in their job. I gauge a church how people are progressing in life, how they're facing their future. I gauge a church on how we deal with our brokenness. I gauge a church on how we deal with pressure because that's where the Holy Spirit is real to me. It's how is the Holy Spirit changing your life to stand with integrity, to stand with integrity to reflect who Jesus is. Doesn't mean we don't trip over. Doesn't mean we don't struggle. Doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes in life. We all make mistakes. But really the issue is, is, is my marriage better now than it was two years ago? Am I overcoming things that I know I struggle with? Am I providing? Do, am I building for financial security? Think about it. I say to people in New Zealand, unless God's told you, everyone should aim to have their own home. You say, well, you haven't studied the economy of Auckland. Well, I found out people who've got a desire do it. I find people who are the most critical, I'm gonna use a statement now, they just eat their money. You find they're always at a cafe, having meals out, coffees. Somehow their money's just eaten. And they say they never have enough. But you, you give vision to money. You give vision to money. And I, I, I wonder what could happen. And then you bring God into the equation. Amen? You bring God into the equation. You look what, you look what God will do. And I believe that we just need to in a way, focus. So today, I was really pleased when Sam asked me to talk on marriage. I think I have an authority. But my heart is, I know God wants you to win. Secondly, I'm not just saying this lightly, I want you to win. I want you to win. I want you to win. I want your life to matter. If you've gone through brokenness, God's the healer of brokenness. Many know my daughter's gone through a broken relationship. But she said, Dad, never stop talking about the ideal. Amen? Never stop. Because you can't. God wants us to focus on something that truly matters to Him. Amen? And I think the church, can I just say to you, the church I see 
in the next five years is a church where marriages are prospering, where couples are whole, where people are finding their groove in life, they're finding their job, what God's called them to do. The church I see in the next five years will be a church that will be more whole. Not holy in the sense of legalism, but more whole, more together, more together. And I pray that in this time of looking at relational reality, you would just let God put something in your heart. Celebrate what he's done, but never give up, because there's more. Amen? Amen? There's more. There's more. God hates divorce. Where's that found? Malachi. Just says he hates divorce. And I know why. Because I've watched the pain in my own daughter. The number of people who are affected, it's not just one or two people. There's up to 20 people who are affected. That's why I think God hates it. And that's why we've got to work to build relationships that are strong. Amen. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I just speak your anointing into this room. I speak your presence. I ask you, Jesus, to do what I could never do. I ask you to speak into people's hearts. I ask you to give people a vision. I ask you to show people the pattern. I ask you to correct where there needs to be correction. I ask you, Lord, to break any emotional hold that's not right over people's lives. I ask you, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to allow your word to come alive in the name of Jesus. I speak. I speak your power. I speak your anointing. I pray when people open your word, there'll be something that will speak into their heart in the name of Jesus. I ask you to do what we could never do in ourselves, As the tide of the world is changing, I pray the church will stand in Jesus' name. Amen. How many want some homework? Put your hand up if you want some homework. Not many put their hand up. I didn't see any guys' hands go up. How many want some homework? I'm watching. What I want you to do, I just... I thought it'd be really good. You need something to speak to you. And I found one passage of Scripture which I felt would really help, especially in relationship to you gaining wisdom, understanding. Can I encourage you just to take a moment and read Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2. Read it. 
Ask God to speak to you through it. Write down what you think he's saying. Reflect over it. Even talk about it together. Because I'm not here to tell you, I'm here to tell you the Bible pattern. But only God can help you to navigate your future. And that's why we need wisdom. We need understanding. We need someone to help us with a map of life. And his name is Jesus that understands you better than anyone else.